0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reader.
1: Man, if you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. I'm going to ask that you turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. And uh, let's look at what God's word has to say to us. Because Paul says, I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, merely ready to say yes, yes and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, Our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him. It is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So I was listening to today to Bruce's um, prayer, pastoral prayer. And in it, as he often does, he prays for me and my ministry and the faithfulness of it. He added and is, he uses different uh, folk areas of focus. And today he did one interesting to me. And that was, of course, in my discipling ministry. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and you know that the basic means of delivering discipleship is in a small group. Now, there's life on life in a small group. Because we learn horizontally vertically and we learn horizontally as well among a small group with our uh, with a, with a discipler. And then there's one on one for a season and for a reason. But you may wonder, Harry, there's 400 something small groups that meet at Briarwood. Are you meeting with all of them? Because Bruce was praying for your discipling ministry. Well, the answer is no, I do have a couple of small groups I meet with, but but that's not um, that's not what he was referring to. What he was referring to is that in the expositional preaching of God's word, that is an initiating step of discipleship throughout a congregation. As God's word is expounded in public preaching, it's the trigger for discipleship. It's the cannonade of discipleship. It is a, it, it presents things that can be built upon in the small group and in one-on-one. And if there was ever a sermon in which, uh, was, was a clear area of discipleship in focus, it's this one. This particular sermon, while addressing the matters of Theology, that is the doctrine of God, Christology, the doctrine of Christ, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. While all of those things will be um, embedded in this particular sermon, the reality is this sermon is very focused in the practicality of the life of every believer in worship and in witness something biblical that I believe needs to be understood. In fact, I am going to go so far as to ask you to do something I don't normally do, but I would ask you to consider. I know this is a holiday weekend and and then the covid issues and everything. I'm going to ask you to consider your family and friends and those whom you know that aren't here, that you might even ask them to go to the website and take the time this week to listen to this. I believe what I am presenting to you is needs to be understood and needs to be embraced and needs to be embraced in life. That uh, we are. Well, what is it? Well, we have we're in our 20th study of the Apostles Creed. The Apostles Creed is a creed that was fashioned in the second and third century. It was probably put together in the space of 50 to 70 years by not the Apostles. It's called the Apostles' Creed because it is amassing the essentials of apostolic doctrine found in the New Testament books in terms of the foundational essential dynamics of the Christian life. That's what it is, the Apostles' Creed. It is the essentials. Now, not everything that's essential is in the Apostles' Creed. So you will believe as a Christian more than what's in the Creed. But, it is, um, but you don't believe less than what's in the Creed. It's basic found. In fact, if anybody comes up to you now and says to you, you know, what is? Can- I know you're a Christian. Can you tell me what the gospel is? I am hopeful I am desperately hopeful that you'll say, Oh yeah, I know what the gospel is. Can I sit down and walk with you through 100 words that make up the apostles creed? Well, in Latin, it was a hundred words and I want to go through. It is a foundational statement of the truth that is true in Jesus by which we are saved. You now have it. You don't have to call me. You can call me, but you don't have to call me. You don't even have to go and ask for another book to use uh, necessarily. Uh, what is the gospel? You have something that is the essentials of the Christian gospel that you can develop. It is appropriately in Trinitarian form the doctrine of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The doctrine of God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and uh, the Father Almighty. Then it goes to the doctrine of Jesus, and interestingly, of the 100 words that make up the Apostles' Creed, 75 of them are consumed in the second paragraph concerning Jesus and the second paragraph of the affirmations around Christ are focused not upon what Jesus did but what Jesus who Jesus is and what Jesus taught I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate crucified dead and buried and then um, his humiliation all the way to the grave and then his exaltation on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And then you move to the third affirmation of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit's ministry on the finished redeeming work of Christ in the life of the church in the gathering of the Holy Catholic—that is the kataholis. That's the that's the Greek words that are put together. Catholic—it means universal church. That is the part made into the whole, and it's looking at the church triumphant in heaven, perfect, made up of the elect. That it is perfectly gathered together, and none that Jesus redeems will be lost, but all will be there in eternity, resting from their labors in the. Presence Presence of the Lord with perfection, uh, and with perfection in terms of who is there, and the perfection of the number. All of His people will be there. Then He turns to the church militant on the earth, that is on mission, on message, and in ministry, and the communion of the saints as we labor together to fulfill the great commission, live the great commandment with a great commitment to Christ. Then He turns from the church, His ministry of the Holy Spirit for the church, to the individual. Christian, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then comes the conclusion to the creed. Every creed, all the biblical creeds, and this creed is modeled after the creeds that are in the Bible. The creeds in the Bible are there for three reasons one, as an instrument of worship. Two, as an instrument of discipleship, and three, as an instrument to protect the church in its purity of doctrine. Well, the Apostles' Creed is an extra-biblical creed, and its value is only found in its, in its being faithful to the New Testament truth of what is Christianity. And therefore, when you go to the scriptures to understand what's there, and you say, I believe in, and then all of these basic truths, how does it end amen why does it end amen why doesn't it just end why amen why does it come at the conclusion and why is the word there I know the word was kind of out. Well, my goodness, Harry's going to preach on one word this Sunday. Amen. Actually, I came up with three sermons on that one word, but I'm not going to do three. But I am going to answer three questions. What is it? Why is it? And when is it rightly used? But interestingly, as I began to prepare, something astonishing happened to me. I'm going to share with you what happened to me. But as I share it with you, I'm going to ask you to restrain critiquing me and evaluating what I'm about to say. At least for another 20 minutes. I want you to just to hear me. As I went through the study of God's word on this biblical term, amen. I became convinced of something. If the apostles let's take Paul in particular, if they were to visit a twenty first century church, I think they would be astonished. And in fact I I would go so far as to say disappointed. There may be multiple reasons, but there's one in particular. I think they would be astonished. I think they would be amazed at the dearth and the absence of the people engaged verbally in worship with the divinely commanded and provided word, amen. I think they would be astonished that 4,000 years of a biblical term Trans transcendent over all cultures and generations. Has become. Has become almost absent in the worship. Of God's people today. Is that appropriate? Should it? Or should there. Be a recalibration. And it wouldn't surprise us that they end a collection of biblical truths with the word amen, because it's supposed to. In fact, it's a divinely provided word. In fact, it's a divinely commanded word. And it is to be present. It is to be used. Now, Harry, how have you come to the conclusion that it is commanded to be used? Divinely provided and divinely commanded. Well, that came in the preparation. That's why I said in the preparation is when I became Absolutely convinced and amazed and astonished, and to some degree convicted. I'd even seen it in my own life over 50 years. The gradual absence. Now, the, we introduce a lot of other cultural convention, conventions in terms of how we uh, participate in worship, but the loss of the word amen, should we? Or should it be employed? Should it be embraced? Should it be enjoyed out of affection and allegiance and adoration to the God of glory? I'll leave that to you, just as I share with you a couple of passages of Scripture. I want you to keep your finger right here in Second Corinthians chapter 1. But I want you to turn back a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians 14. And I want you to go back there for a reason. Uh, it was my time in this text that, that really challenged me. Now, this is a text I'm going to I'm asking you to do some more discipline. My purpose in reading this text is not an exposition concerning uh, tongues and what is biblical and what is not biblical. Although Paul addresses that here. That's not my purpose. There's another purpose because of something else that is in the text. And I want to draw your attention to it. The Apostle Paul had ministered for 18 months at Corinth. It was a ministry that was bittersweet and there, there were many that disliked him and many that loved him. And then when he leaves, he's over at Ephesus, and he hears that there is chaos in the church. There are multiple problems. They actually write him about seven of those problems, and he addresses them. And one of those was tongues, the pagan practice of unintelligible gibberish from the temple had made its way in the name of the apostolic gift of tongues and languages into the worship of the church. And he begins to correct it. He begins to deal with it. My purpose is not... To go through how he corrects it, but I need to read it, and I need to read it in order to get to what my purpose actually is in the text, in light of the affirmation "Amen" at the end of the Apostles' Creed. Look with me in First Corinthians 14, and go with me if you would to verse um, uh, to verse. Well, I'll just begin at verse six. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp... Um, and do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an, und- an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with, your, so with yourselves. If with your tongue uh, you utter speech that is, not a, that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So what he was saying is this. If someone claims to have the gift of of tongues, first of all, he expects it to be one of the known languages of the world, though unknown to the speaker. And secondly, if God's given it, there will be someone there who will know that language, which is why later he will say there has to be an interpreter and it needs to have the witness of two or three, that there is a reason for it, just as it was in Acts chapter two. We hear people speaking in our own language. And he says, otherwise, this unintelligible gibberish, he said, this is not of the Lord. This is not for the Lord because we worship what we know we have to understand. Can I give you an example? We have three congregational communities that do not worship in this in this sanctuary with us on the Lord's day morning and that is because they are meeting Um, In their own heart language, we have a Hispanic congregational community, a Korean congregational community, and a um, Japanese congregational community. Well, if they were sitting here, unless there was an interpreter, and whenever they do join us, we always have interpreters, but unless there's an interpreter, they can't participate. Or if one of them were preaching, I couldn't participate, you couldn't participate, because we don't know it. And worship is intelligible. It is an act of knowledge. It is something that's done with heart and mind. The t- both are to be in practice. Thus, they are gathered together this Lord's day in their heart language, even as we are here. So he's saying, listen, if there's not an interpreter and someone knows that language, it's not of the Lord. Because if it is of the Lord, it would contribute to the edification of those who are present who would be able to understand it. And so then he goes, then he goes further with it to the next paragraph. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks, With your spirit, that is, in a language unintelligible that you claim is from your spirit, how can anyone in the position outside of you or of an outsider say what? Amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak with five words with my mind in order to instruct others other than the 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, he said, I have spoken in multiple languages. But when I am there with you, I don't want to speak in those. I want to speak in your language, and even if I'm restricted to five words and 10,000 in the other, because I want to communicate what edifies. And what is he saying to you? He's saying there's something don't miss here. This is where I want you to focus as he corrects the problem. He corrects it from certain anchor points. What are the anchor points? Number one is the priority of worship. If it it detracts from God-centered worship, it's not of God. Secondly, secondly, in God-centered worship, he expects that people will be able to understand And will speak understandably because in worship, God is praised and others are to be edified. Thirdly, he expects that in a worship service, people who understand truth when spoken will respond with a particular word. And that word is amen. His presupposition is that in a worship service, people respond to the intelligible communication of God centered words, and their response is a verbal affirmation, Amen. He assumes that. He would expect that. He would expect that would be present. Not only would people respond, worship is dialogue. It's not only God to us and us to God, it's us to each other. And in dialogue, that God's people will use the word that God has provided, amen, and will be found in the worship service. Now, why would Paul expect the word amen to be found in a God-centered worship service? uttered by people in response to truth that they've heard in that worship service. Why? He would expect it for a very specific reason. And that's because God provided the word and God has commanded the word. What is the word? The word is amen. It's found 150 plus times in your Bible. It is not, is not a Hebrew word translated, amen. That is the Hebrew word. Transliterated, amen. They didn't have a word when they did the Old Testament in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. They didn't have a Greek word, so they transliterated the Hebrew word, amen, to the Greek word, amen. And then when they translated the Old and the New Testament into English, We didn't have a word, so they transliterated the word amen, amin, to amen, or amen, depending on what region you're from, amen, or amen, into our language. What does it always mean? Here's what it means. It is a word of verification. It is a verbal verification of truth as truth. Dr. Schaefer used to call it True truth. That in fact, this is true. What I just heard, my response is, amen. So be it forever. It is forever truth. It is truth forever true. So be it. I affirm it. I acclaim it. I agree with it. This is the word of God. It is true truth. That is exactly what it is. Now go back with me to Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, chapter one. I'm not going to read all that I read. I just ask you to go back. Now, the church at Corinth was giving Paul a hard time. You said you were coming and you didn't. You're just one of those yes and no guys. He said, No, no. If I told you I was coming, I was coming. The only reason I didn't get there is that God gave me the no. I didn't say I was coming with yes or no. I may or may not. My daddy and I used to have a running joke. I'd say to daddy, would you like to play golf Friday afternoon? He'd say, yeah, put that down as a definite maybe. That was uh, that was. And I knew that there was a possibility he may not be there. Well, when Paul wasn't giving a definite, maybe Paul was when he said he's coming, he's coming. And here's why he said, my savior doesn't give yes and no. My savior gives yes to all of his promises. In fact, all of his promises are yes. And. Amen. Forever true in him. Look with me if you would at the verse. Just start at 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful. He said, no, no. I am attempting to live according to the pattern God has established. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That I, as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. What's always yes in Him? His word. His promises. Next verse. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through him that we utter the Amen. Our Amen is a verbal acclamation, a verbal sign and signature that all of God's truth is yes in Christ. I mean, today we lit a prophecy candle. Why? Because 60 plus prophecies have been fulfilled in the birth of Christ. He has made other prophetic words. Everything he has promised is yes and amen. Not because I've said it. Not because you've said it. But because Christ has said it. And his word is true and his word is yes and amen in him. Notice what else he says. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you see what he's saying? You who are saved... Are saved in a covenant relationship with God. And God has put a notary signature. He has put a sign and seal on you. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you in himself. And you who know Christ. Then put the verbal seal of your love for Christ. Before the world. Amen. We utter amen. We utter amen to God before the world, the saved and the lost. God's word is true forever in Christ. And we have built our life on it. And, and what is in our heart comes out of our mouth. So we verbally take the divinely provided word and declare it. Amen. Now, why do we do it? Well, we do it because God has commanded it. That's why we do it. Look, if you would. Well, I'll tell you, if you don't mind, for the sake of time, I'm not going to take you to the passage. I'm going to give it to you. But let's say I ask you to turn to Joshua five and you went with me to Joshua five and you find this amazing moment. The people have crossed the River Jordan. They have taken Jericho. They then disobeyed God. By not doing what God told them to do, but they went to get another town called Ai and they lost the battle and and some were killed because of it. And it was all due to their disobedience and the sin of Achan. Then they went up where they were supposed to go. They went up to where you find Jacob's well. I have been there on a number of occasions and Jacob's well is in a valley and a mountains on this side and a mountain is on this side. This is Mount Gerizim. This is Mount Ebal. And on one mountain, the Levites were commanded by God to stand and read the law of God, its blessings and its cursings. On one mountain, they read the curses. On the other mountain, they read the blessings. And the people were commanded when the blessings and cursings were read to say amen in the gathered worship service. In the reading of the word, the proclamation of the word, they were called to say amen. Well, like I said, I'm not going to turn there. The reason that happens in Joshua 5 is because it was commanded by God through Moses in Deuteronomy 27. Here's what it says. The Levites shall recite, shall read, shall proclaim to all the people of Israel... In a loud voice, so the people are together in worship between the two mountains. And the Levites shall proclaim the word and the law of the Lord. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of a skilled hands, one that's set up in secret. Then the Lord said, all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother, then all the people are to say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor or boundary stone, then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who, reads the, who leads the blind astray, then the Lord commanded all the people to say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. The blessings and the curses. And then the people were commanded to say, Amen. Before the Lord. Why? It is God's gift in a manner where you can respond to God's word and declare your affirmation. Acclaim your adoration and agree with verification that God's word has spoken. Now, what's really interesting is where this word is 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 ground, grounded, where it is focused. Would you take your Bibles and do turn to with me to this text? Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter 3, you know the seven churches, and you get to the last church, the church at Laodicea, and I want you to see the introduction. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen. In other words, these are words from the uh, Amen, the faithful and true witness. The one who begins, the beginning of God's creation. Who is he referring to? This isn't hard, folks. Come on. He's referring to Jesus. What is the name for Jesus? The Amen. Not only does God's promises come from Jesus, not only are they yes and amen in Jesus, Jesus is the amen. Now, this this overwhelms me. I know the profanity and blasphemy of my mouth and the Lord's name prior to my conversion. And now in worship and before the world, God allows me to honor his name by declaring All of his promises are amen in him. And I'm actually using his name when I say that. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you got to mention the name Jesus and you're right. You got to mention Christ and you're right. In the worship. Now, listen to me, please. God says, use my son's name. In acclamation." In adoration, in affirmation, and in agreement, when you hear it, use my son's name, not in vain, but in adoration, in acclamation, in affirmation, in agreement. With what I have just heard in response. The only time, amen, is not you. Well, let me answer the question when. When do you use it? You use it in response to God's Word. You use it in response to God's Word when God's Word is read, when God's Word is preached, and when prayers are faithful to God's Word. Let me can I just show you one more text and then we'll close. Would you look with me in Psalm 41? Psalm 41. Psalm 41. I want to show you something. Psalm 41. Psalm 41, go to the last verse, verse 13. It ends with a doxology. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The double amen. Now, would you go to the next thing that you see in Psalm 42? What does it say in your Bible? It ought to say book two. Well, if Psalm 42 begins book two of the Psalms, what did Psalm 41 do? This isn't hard. Even East Carolina can figure this one out. It ended book one. There are four books of Psalms in your Bible. The Psalms are divided into four books. Each one ends with a doxology and the double amen. Now, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because God's word, because amen, which is a name for Jesus, all of God's word and his promises are yes and amen in Jesus, come from Jesus. And Jesus is the amen. And God commands his assembled people to respond to truth with the name of. Of the Son of God that means so be it forever. When? When it is read. Secondly, when it is proclaimed. Thirdly, when it is sung. The Psalms are the divinely given hymn book. And what do you do when you sing truth to God? You end with the Amen. And then what do you do when you pray? Well, amen isn't the signal, just open your eyes. Amen means I have attempted to pray about everything that concerns me. And I have brought it to you, Father, in the name of your Son. I have been as faithful as I could to frame my request according to your word. Amen. So be it forever. As you answer. According to your divine will. In fact, the amen doesn't have. I believe every prayer uttered in Christ's name to the father by the spirit. Faithful to the word. When it finishes, we all enter in. Amen. And even in the prayer, there may be moments. Of Amen. When we sing truth, we end with amen. In the singing of the truth, there may be moments you just simply want to say amen. In the preaching of the word of God, the reading of God's word. You have heard me say many times. You have heard me say on many occasions. And all of God's people said. <laughs> I'm going to try that again. All of God's people said. See, I didn't start that. That's Deuteronomy. That's God started that. That's not me. That's God. Now, if you're not his people, you don't want to say amen. If you are, you do. And I actually get the opportunity to affirm God's truth with that comes from Jesus, that's true in Jesus, with the name of Jesus. Amen. That's why I believe Paul would be astonished at our abandonment, our almost abandonment of amen in 21st century Christianity. So, Pastor, I mean, let me put it this way. We know in worship from the moment those chimes strike... Until the benediction, everything that we do does not come from human imagination. Everything we do is commanded in the scripture. The reading, the preaching, the singing, the giving, everything has an expressed commandment. And God is clear. In worship, you are only, you're to worship in spirit and in truth. You are only to do that which I have commanded. But let me tell you what's equally true. We not only do in worship what God has commanded, we must not omit in our worship what God has commanded. Therefore, my takeaway is simply this. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Gladly for I We adore him. That it would not be absent in the assembly of the people. Pastor. Pastor, why is this? Why is this come to your heart? Well, I'll give you one reason. How? uh, Let me. Would you read it with me? Go. This won't be hard. Go to Revelation 22. Just let's end it right here. This is Easy. This is easy. Why this is so... How does the Bible end? Look at Revelation 22. He who testifies to... Look at Revelation 22, verse 20. End of the book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, Jesus said, surely, I am coming soon. What's the response? Amen. And then what? A prayer. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's Jesus. True forever. Be with all of his people. We've been through the apostles creed. I believe in, God. it starts off with credo. I believe, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. I believe in God the son. I believe in God the son. I believe in God the son, the Lord Jesus Christ that was born for us. I believe in the Holy, Spirit. I believe in, I believe in the Lord Jesus, the son of God and that one who, our Lord and our savior. Amen. I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Amen. I believe He was born of the Virgin Mary, Amen. I believe He suffered under Pontius Pilate, Amen. I believe He, I believe He died an atoning death on the cross, Amen. I believe His body was buried in a tomb, Amen. I believe His soul went to Hades, in that place of paradise in heaven, with the thief and all who had anticipated His coming to be with them, and He was under the power of death for three days, Amen. I believe that. I believe on the. Third third day, He rose again. Amen. I believe He ascended into heaven. Amen. I believe He's coming again. I believe He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Until He comes, I believe He has sent the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit will inevitably, infallibly, and relentlessly gather all of the elect up to God to the great assembly of the elect of God triumphant in heaven. The church of the Lord Jesus' blood bought and spirit brought. I believe that. Amen. I believe in the communion of the saints as their own mission, own message, and in ministry. Amen. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the life everlasting. Amen. I believe those things. And I will use the term that God has given me. And God calls me to use with all of His people to affirm. Amen. Oh, but pastor, wait. Aren't you concerned? That people will just do it by rote and ritual? Sure, I'm concerned about that. But the problem, when we have liturgical amens for everyone to unite before God and affirm and acclaim and agree the truth of God's word forever, if it's become ritual, the problem is not with the word. The problem is with our heart. That's where the problem is. We haven't solved that by removing the word. You solve that by dealing with your heart. Pastor, aren't you concerned that some people, you know, in the middle of a sermon and prayers will get to amening and draw attention to themselves? Certainly I am. We've got something for that. It's called church discipline. And the fellowship of the saints. Speaking the truth in love to one another. Pastor, aren't you concerned that we'll bring some people in here that don't yet know Jesus or they come from very formal churches? And it'll be embarrassing if our people are saying amen in a sermon or singing it or praying it or amen in a prayer. Sure. I remember when I was 14 and I'd bring some of my friends I played ball with to church. And I knew A.A. A. Short, Mr. A.A. A. Short. A.A. Short. I don't never. I don't know what AA stood for. I never found out my whole life, but I knew I was in a church that amen. But it never amen till AA short gave the first one. I don't just We had two hundred some people and no, and there'll be plenty of amens, but not till he spoke. If he said amen, that was the signal and the imprimatur on the preacher. Then everybody else started. I knew that. And I would be embarrassed. Do you know what I'd give anything? If I could hear that dear octogenarian say one more time, amen. The problem wasn't his amen. The problem was my heart. That's why I was embarrassed. That's where the problem was. Listen, the same God who knows your heart can read the thoughts and intentions of your heart. That same God has commanded you to give vent to your heart verbally. With the amen. Not because he doesn't know what's in your heart, but because you need to speak from the heart. And he's given you what to say. His son's name. Amen. And he has commanded you and allows you. To use the name of his son to reveal your heart in worship. In the adoration of God, in the affirmation of his word. And to when it is read, when it is preached, and believe me, it does help when it's preached. (laughs) There's times I think I think in my preaching ministry, I felt I've been I'm, I'm not in a, an assembly. I'm in a mausoleum. There's I'm not even sure they're breathing. That's why I do love the moments when I am invited and I have the privilege to preach with my African-Americans who know how to preach the preacher. Of course, sometimes if you're not doing too well, you don't get an amen. What you get is, Lord, help him. But it's dialogue. God speaks to us. We speak back to God. Amen. And to one another. To encourage one another. As worshipers before the Lord. And as a witness to a watching world. That God commands it. God calls for it. God's given His name. So that we can give vent to our heart. And let the Amen sound from His people again. Because gladly, for I, yes and amen. Gladly, for yes, we adore Him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for our time together in Your Word. And thank You for the privilege to... Spend these moments together. Would you minister to the heart of each one? My friend, Jesus has promised to save any and all who put their trust in him. This day, I would love for you to know the guarantee of your salvation promised in his word and sealed by his Holy Spirit. So you come to Jesus. If you want to come and talk with me or someone, please let us know. We are available. And Father, would you let your people who have the Holy Spirit as your guarantee, your signature, your notary sign and seal. Would you allow them in worship, in response to your word read, preached, prayed and sung to put their notary signature upon it. Amen. So be it forever. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, Or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.